Uh, we've come down now into verse number 16, the last time. Uh, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And, and again, you'll notice uh, this verse from last time. Uh, we've looked at the issue of the gospel of Christ. We looked at the fact in chapter 16, Paul says, my gospel. And when he says this issue about the gospel of Christ, uh, Paul is an, he's establishing uh, the distinction between the gospel given to him and the gospel message that's been there before him uh, and so forth. So right off the bat, he's, he's establishing some things here. And, and when we talk about, by the way, I, I, I've mentioned this over the past in our introduction, uh, the book of Romans, I like to view it as a courtroom. And really up to this point, Paul has stood in the courtroom and introduced himself. Uh, when we went down through the issue there of I'm a debtor and I'm ready to come, and, and we looked at that's the, the I am statements there, he is the one setting that pattern. So he has stood in the courtroom now, and he is going to, he's been introducing himself. And so as he introduces the issue of the gospel of Christ, if you come over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, when we talk about the gospel of Christ, and, and again, we looked at this issue uh, two weeks ago, last week we did something different, verse number, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel not with wisdoms of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. So when we talk about the gospel of Christ, it's concerning the cross. It's concerning the death, burial, and resurrection. We're talking about the cross, the power of God there at the end of verse 18. So when you come back to Romans 1.16, he says, For it is the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. So when we talk about the gospel of Christ, we know exactly what we're talking about. And that is the issue of the cross and the preaching of the cross, and specifically the, the, the content of information about the death, burial, and resurrection. We, we looked last time uh, about that issue when, when Peter is preaching about the cross. It's a negative thing. We went through Acts and we looked at that. But when Paul preaches about the cross, it, Peter says this is negative for Israel, nothing about the world, nothing about the Gentiles, nothing about anyone. It's negative for Israel, but when Paul preaches the gospel, preaches the cross, it's good news to all of the world. It's a good news thing. So we have one Savior. He died once for all, Hebrews says. And so there's only one death, burial, and resurrection. And Paul here, right from the start, establishes a distinction between, him, between previously preached gospels and the gospel that has been entrusted to him. So he's, he's focusing in on the unique content of his gospel. Again, when he says, my gospel, 
when Paul says that, and he says the gospel of Christ, when it's concerning the death, burial, and resurrection, where, it's where we're going to learn that not only did Christ die for us, but he also died with us. We have this Romans 6, 7, and 8. When we get over there, we'll look at it in great detail, especially Romans 6. We have this crow, crow, co-crucifixion. He died for the sinners, and so he died for us. But then we have the co-burial. And in Romans 6, he talks about being baptized with him and that issue of being buried with him, that spiritual baptism that comes in. Then we have that co-resurrection where we're raised with him to a newness of life. You know, Peter doesn't talk like that. Peter says, with wicked hands you crucified him. You did this, you did that, you did all this. So all the details about what Christ did, not only for us, but with us, is what's contained in the gospel of Christ. What's contained in Paul's, my gospel. And he's going to provide all the details of that glorious achievement of Calvary for us, for the world, for everyone. But then in, here in Romans 1.16, he says, For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. I, I don't know if you've thought about that. The power of God. Here's Jesus. Who in the world is Jesus? He's an insignificant Jew. He's irrelevant. He's a nobody. The leaders of Israel look at him and say, who are you? What school did you go to? Where did you learn this doctrine from? You see, he, on the scheme of everything, he was unknown by, by the multitudes. But yet, what would happen here? He's the one that's going to be the answer to humanity's greatest virus, if you will. <laughs> Sin. So he's really no ordinary Jew, is he? He's the one who put the power of God on display. And what Paul comes along and says, he did it over there in his death, burial, and resurrection. And that's wonderful news. That's tremendous news. So Paul, in the progressive revelation... He's going to put the capstone, the, the end of it, the cap on it. I was doing yard work yesterday, and my irrigation is shot. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with it. I got leaks here and there. But I've got one where when we planted our citrus tree and I drove the stake in, I broke the, the uh, irrigation line to the sprinkler. And I know that. I've gone in and tried to repair it. My repair job didn't work. That's okay. So I took the sprinkler off, and I capped the end of that. Sprinkler, so it wouldn't shoot up in the air. Actually, it wouldn't leak in the ground, so I went in and where I cut it, I cut that off and capped that as well, so there wouldn't be water everywhere. Well, you know what I did with the lawnmower yesterday? I ran over and whacked that top thing right off, you know? Why? He's going to put a capstone on it. Here's, here's the details. Here's the, the, the thing that's going to sum the explanation up of everything. And it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. So when Paul talks about the gospel of Christ, he's talking about the information given to him. And, and again, he, 
he exclusively uses that term outside of Mark 1, and we looked at that, but he exclusively uses that term because that information belongs to him. It was revealed to him. So as Paul stands in the courtroom and inter- brings in and gives the introduction he, he, to, to himself, to what he's going to be talking about and presenting, he then begins to, to get into it here. Now, the end of verse 16 is what we're going to spend the rest of the morning looking at, Uh, at least the time that we have here, Romans 1, verse 16, where he says, Power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, this is a kind of a pivotal point here in, 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 in the verse, this ending. This end of the verse, it... Most people wish that the period ended after the word believe and then move right into verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And they, uh, most people wish he had left off to the Jew first and also to the Greek because then that raises the question, well, who's really first? And what's really going on here? By the way, verse 17, we'll look at it next time. He is going to begin to present in the courtroom the legal right that God has to now go and deal with sin, the sin question, the sin problem. And part of the power of God is how that God rightly and legally can go and deal with our sin problem, but yet at the same time maintain His holiness his righteousness, his justice. So therefore, verse 17, the righteousness of God is what? It's revealed. And we'll get into that and we'll see the legality of it. I just want to take the the next 30 minutes or whatnot and look at the end there of verse 16 because this is the verse, this is the part of the verse that people use to say, hey, we should be having a ministry to Israel. And we need to be collecting canned goods and money. And we need to go over here and take care of Israel. Because see, Paul says, to the Jew first. So we need to have that mindset of going over. You know, and, and honestly, the Israel that sits over there today is not the Israel of God. Blessing them will not get you any more blessings. You know, that is, the Israel that we see today was established by the United Nations back in 1948. It has nothing to do with prophetic scriptures. It has nothing to do with what's going on today. If you want to bless Israel, they need to go, you need to go do Romans chapter 10, which they need a preacher because they're sinners and they're on their way to hell and they need to hear God, Paul's gospel. That's how you're going to help the, the nation of Israel. It does not, blessing Israel and taking care of Israel does not come along and give you and I more spiritual blessings. We are blessed with all spiritual blessings. We're complete. We have it all. This na- our nation going over there and helping them and doing and so forth is not going to bring favor from God on our nation. Not all of that. All of those passages, First Chronicles, and all that stuff that gets used, doesn't belong to you and I today. It belongs to the nation of Israel and her program. So people use that to say, hey, we ought to be having a messianic, a Jewish ministry, and we need to be going that way. I'm for having a Jewish ministry, but not based on that. Let's have a Jewish ministry where we see people get saved. Last week we established that we have a dog ministry in the dog park. 
well, let's have another ministry. That's fine. But what do they need to see? Paul says, my heart, look over there at chapter 10 uh, of Romans. Romans 10. <clears throat> Romans 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. If you look over at chapter 11. Chapter 11. Well, you get the point, I think. They're in 10, 10 1's pretty clear. How, do they, how are they going to do it? They're in chapter 10. How, how do they get saved? Verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? You see, they need someone to go give them Paul's gospel. When he says, I want them to be saved, he's talking based upon, come back to Romans 3, Again, in that courtroom of proving some things, verse, chapter 3, verse 9, what then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. So if they're going to get saved, what do they need to know? Paul's gospel. So when you come back to chapter 1, one of the things that people use this for the end of verse 16 is to say, hey, we should have a Jewish ministry. No, we have an all-man ministry. Then they use the end of the verse to say, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to say, see, Paul had a Jew first ministry during his Acts period, during his Acts ministry. And then... After Acts 28, he goes over here, and now he's going to talk to the Gentiles. So then you pr produce two Gospels, one Gospel to the Jews, one Gospel to the Gentiles. Then you produce two bodies, and you got all this two stuff going on. you got two of everything. And, and quite honestly, that just, well, when you look at the verses and you consider what it is, that's just not the case. To say that there are two of everything and to say that there are two of this and that is to completely contradict what Paul says and teaches and so forth. So let's look at that. Look at the verse, chapter 1, verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Now, the, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The way that most people read that is that they say it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. They usually skip over and they take the Jew first and they connect it to the issue of salvation. So they come along and they, they say, see, look, they skip the all, unto, unto all who shall believe, will believe, and they go right to, and they connect the salvation and the Jew together. And they say, see, he's talking to the Jews first, he's going over there doing that, he's getting them saved first, and then he's going to go to the Greeks, and then he's going to do this and that. And yet, when you read the verse, don't skip over to everyone that believeth. That's critical to understand, isn't it? Salvation is upon uh, unto all and upon all them that believe. It's unto everyone that believeth to the Jew first and to the Greek. See? So the issue here for me 
is not the issue of salvation connecting to the Jew first, but rather that issue about believing and connecting to the Jew first with the, with the issue of believeth. Who, so the, the issue for me in that verse is who really will have the capacity to believe first, the Jew or the Greek? And that's really the question. And that's the end. Who has the capacity to believe first? When Paul get, got his information in, in, in Acts 9, and he goes out and starts preaching, who's naturally going to understand the language that he's talking about? A Jew or a Gentile? A Greek. By the way, if you look up at verse 14, he says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. That's how the world looks at society, Greeks and barbarians. Here, it's Jews and also the Greeks. That's how the Jews look at it. They, they pr actually pr put the Greek up over the Gentile, even though they're all Gentiles. <laughs> you know, it's an interesting thing there. If it is salvation to the Jews first, all right, then we have some contradiction that's going to happen right here in chapter 1. Look back up at verse 5. If salvation is to go to the Greek or to the Jews first, God made, made a choice. He made a choice back there with Abraham and the institution of the, issue of, of the doctrine of circumcision. And he said, if you're circumcised, you belong to me. If you're uncircumcised, you're, you don't belong to me. That's way before there was ever a Jew. Abraham was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. But he had a covenant and a promise made with God. And, he's, and the issue of circumcision is introduced. And there becomes a division in man that God put in there. Think of, I was trying to think of how to illustrate this issue about salvation going to the Jews first. And here... What's going on today? Everybody's talking about hospitals and ERs and being tested, right? So here you are, you pull up, you have all the symptoms and the criteria of, of the coronavirus. And they look at you and say, no, not you, we're going to take you, someone who has no symptoms, we're going to test you and not you. When you say salvation goes first to the, gen to the Jews... Here in Romans, that's what you're saying. You're saying God is choosing the Jews first, and Gentiles, you're just out of luck right now. You, you follow that? That's, the, that's that, where that comes from. But look at verse 5. What has Paul already told us? By whom we have received a grace and apostleship for the obedience to faith, to the faith among all nations for his name. You see, the issue here isn't salvation because Paul says, my apostleship is an international apostleship. I'm going to all the nations. So it's not a salvation thing, it's a belief thing. Who has the capacity to believe the message of Paul that Paul is now going to come and present the easiest, the quickest is it going to be a Jew or is it going to be a Gentile, a Greek? Look over at chapter 11. Chapter 11 of Romans. Chapter 11. 
chapter 11 and verse 13. Romans 11 and verse 13. So when you hear someone say, well, Paul had two ministries, this and that, and you, you know, just kind of go, yeah, okay, whatever. Just put your, ears, your fingers in your ears, wait for them to get done talking, and then carry on. Because Paul doesn't. He's an all nations. 11.13. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. Who's the apostle of? The Gentiles. Chapter 15 of Romans. Chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse 16. Romans 15, 16. Paul says that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Ministering the gospel of God that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. That issue of to the Gentiles. Chapter 16 and verse 26. But now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God. So here's the commandment of the everlasting God. You hear people, oh, I'm, I love the commandments of God. Here's a commandment that they don't like. Made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. When you hear someone reject Paul, they're rejecting a commandment of God. Again, Paul's, come back to Romans 3. Paul's apostleship, we've seen this, and I don't want to belabor the point, is an international apostleship. So in 116, when he says, unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jews first and to also to the Greeks, it's not a salvation goes to the Jews first. It's the salvation is going to everyone that will believe. Who has the capacity to believe first? It's going to be the Jew. Why? Because they're going to understand the language. They're going to understand some of the, 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 the things that Paul is going to bring out here. You know, salvation now, in, in John, the Lord's talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman there, and he, she says, he says to her, salvation is of the Jews. So there is a time when salvation belonged to who? To the Jews first, and then was going to go out. But now, today... Salvation is now available to everyone equally. Look at Romans 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. So we're without the law. There's no difference. Verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 23, verse 23 really sits there because of the end of verse 22. Unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Why is it there no difference? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There, the, everything is, God has done away with all of the, the division, the racial, the religious division that he set up back in Israel's program to call out his nation. All of that has been set aside. Come down to verse 29. Chapter 3, verse 29. Chapter 3, verse 29. Is he the God of the Jews only? 
Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. That's a dispensation declaration there. Paul, again, is laying out, hey, look, guys, now God is equally, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, the song we sing. Everyone now can come. Come over to chapter 3. I'm I'm sorry, chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 9. Wonderful verses here. And and I'll be honest with you, the, the folks that pull up Acts 28 viewpoints and other viewpoints, they have to literally struggle with these verses where he talks about to the Gentiles, to the Gentiles, to the Gentiles. And my experience with them, they don't, they don't struggle with them enough. <laughs> they try to rewrite them and excuse them and look, go over them or you know, have a, something else to do with them. And honestly, I don't see how you can ignore the verses. Verse 9, cometh this blessedness, Romans 4, 9. Cometh this blessedness upon the circumcision only, or upon the, I'm sorry, cometh this blessedness then, Upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. The blessing. The blessedness of having that the Lord will not impute sin. Blessedness of him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. You know where that blessedness went? Equally into both groups. Equally, it went to those on the circumcised side as well as the Jews and the Greeks. Come over to chapter 10. Chapter 10 of Romans. I'm sorry, chapter 9. Go back there to 9. There's no difference here. So, again, just again, when you talk about to the Jews first and also to the Greek, it has nothing to do with salvation. It has everything to do with that capacity To catch what Paul's teaching. Catch on to it. Chapter 9, verse 24. A few more verses. Chapter 9, verse 24. Even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. He's called them both equally today. Chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 11. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Look at that. There is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. Paul establishes a level playing field here. Everyone is guilty. Everyone's on the same page. Come over to Galatians 3. Galatians chapter 3, where he's got a really, he deals with this issue. Because what has happened at Galatia is the Jews have come in and said, listen, okay, yeah, you're saved, but now you've got to do the law to prove you're saved and to stay saved and and brought in the legalism and mixed law and grace. Galatians 3, verse 28. Galatians 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Very clear, there's what? No difference. If you come over to chapter 5, look at chapter 5. Chapter 5 is very fascinating because only the Apostle Paul can say this. Only the Apostle Paul can say, verse 6, 
For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Only Paul can say that and get away with it. Only Paul can say, chapter 6 and verse 15, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. You see, only Paul can come in and say, Hey, look, guys, there is no difference there is not, everybody's on the same playing field. Come back to chapter 2 of Galatians. Everything is on the same, everything's on the level playing field. Everything is right here where it belongs and where it should be and what's to happen and to transpire. And no one is favored any longer. So in chapter 1, verse 16 of Romans, when he says to the Jew first and also to the Greek, when he says that, he's not talking about favoritism. He's not talking about God saying, okay, you Jews, you're in first, you get the test. Sorry, Gentiles, you're out of luck for a little bit. We'll get to you, but we're going to take care of this group for not any longer. That was the way in time past, but not any longer. Now, look at how critical this is in Galatians 2. So much so that Paul goes after Peter in a very public manner. Now, verse 11. And when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to blame. Now, think about that. Paul is going to go and take care of Peter publicly in front of everybody. When if you drop, run your eye back up to verse 2. Now, in verse 11, they're in Antioch. But in verse 2, they're in Jerusalem. And Paul says... And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Paul goes, you know, Paul's like, Lord, I don't want to go deal with these guys. You know he was saying that, you know. But he goes. But Paul, in that environment, respects who Peter and the boys are, and he goes in privately. And he deals with them privately. By the way, verse 6, But of those who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me, but contrarywise. You see, Paul's like, all right, I'll respect the situation. I'll have some social decorum here. And I'll go in and we'll do this privately and we'll have a conference. They didn't add anything to me. Why? He's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He knows that Old Testament inside and out, upside down, backwards and forwards. Have you ever tried to say the Old Testament backwards? The book's backwards? You ought to try that sometimes. It's not easy because you've got to really think about <laughs> Haven't even tried it forward? Okay. Well, try it forward. But, so he, but now... After Paul has gone in, they've perceived the grace that was given to him. They gave him the right hands of fellowship. Paul is going to go to the heathen. They're going to go in and sit with the circumcision and get them ready. Verse 11, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because Paul doesn't have the social quorum there. Why? Because Peter and those guys perceive the grace. They understand that the, the ground is now level. They understand there is no difference now. 
So, and how you know that is in Acts 15, Peter makes a statement, James confirms it, where he says, hey, we have to be saved like they do now. We, the Jews, we got to be saved like Paul, according to Paul's gospel now, going forward. He was to blame. Why? Well, what happened? Verse 12. For before that certain came from James. That's very interesting how he says that, because James, and later in Acts, in Acts 21, 22, right in there, James is zealous of the law. James is going to represent the religious system here. Before James, before the religious, before the spies from headquarters came, what did Peter do? He did eat with the Gentiles. Well, Peter... Remember Acts 10 with the sheet drops down and three times and Peter argues with the Lord that, no, Lord, I haven't, I haven't touched the unclean thing. I haven't been with Gentile. And the Lord says, hey, don't call unclean what I now call clean. Peter's sitting down there eating pulled pork, having it on. He's, got a, he's eating with them. And then who showed up? But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. You see, when the religious leaders showed up, they intimidated the great apostle Peter. They intimidated him so much that he violated the very doctrines that he's come to learn. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him. Not, not only did Peter get... When they saw, when they saw the, the hierarchy come in, the, the religious leaders come in. Peter got up, and the other Jews were like, what's he doing? And they, oh, we, and they got up too, so much so that it even got Barnabas. You think about Barnabas. Barnabas has been with Paul since day one almost. Verse 14, but when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel... I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Boy, Paul just, Peter, you understood that Paul's making a dispensational uh, a distinction, but he's also making a doctrinal distinction here. Peter, you know better. Peter, you know that the ground has been leveled out. Peter, you know, by the way, in verse 14, they, didn't, they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. That's an interesting, good news. There's more to the gospel than just the death, burial, and resurrection. There's the other side, the grace life side of it too. And Paul's like, dude, Peter, you know what's going on. You know you've been set free. You know the liberty that's here in, in, in living as who we are in Christ. And yet you are doing that. And why in the world would you then look at a Gentile and say, you've got to come over here and live like a Jew? Because that's been the whole argument starting in verse 1. The whole of the meeting was that they had come in and pri verse 4 there, because of the false brethren unawares brought in who came in private, privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. So when you come back here to Romans 1, verse 16, 
I would encourage you to read that verse, not salvation going to the Jews first, because Paul establishes that's not the case in the age of grace. But rather, who is going to be able to believe what Paul's talking about from the very beginning? Who has the capacity to believe and to hear and to listen? I don't know if... if when I was a real estate appraiser, I, you go to class, okay? You sit through all the certification classes, you take the test, the state certifies you, and you go work underneath someone else. You're, you're being OJT. I use that term, and everybody, somebody was like, what does that mean? You're on the job training, okay? <laughs> and you get going, and, and all, but then you begin to hear words you hear them in class, you see the definition, but you don't understand what they look like out there in the real world until someone says, this is what obsolescence looks like. This is what an external obsolescence looks like. This is, and he begins to talk to you about terminology, and then the light bulb goes off and you go, yep, I know what that means now. Yeah, I know what that is. And you can do that in any job. The school, when I drive the school bus, and we sit in our driver's meetings and stuff and, and terms get brought up and you just you begin to know the terminology. You begin to understand the language. And when the gospel is preached to a Jew or a Gentile, they believe that gospel. Guess what? They're saved instantly, right then, unto, unto everyone that believeth. But, rap, but when Paul began to preach his message, who would have the potential or capacity to understand it? Who would understand when Paul would talk about Jesus Christ, who would understand who the Lord was? A Jew or a Gentile? Well, the Jew would. Who would understand historically that man was really were unworthy. Who would understand historically about the doctrine of a sacrifice? You have to remember, Paul's a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He knows the Old Testament. Who would understand historically the doctrine of substitution, that scapegoat idea? Who would understand historically the doctrine of propitiation, that fully satisfying sacrifice, or imputation. Who would fully understand the doctrine about circumcision and uncircumcision? You see, by, by the way, do you know who the first man in the scripture is to understand about the doctrine of circumcision made without hands? It's Moses in Deuteronomy. The Lord looks at Moses and says, listen, this is a hard issue and you're going to have to be circumcised of the heart. Who would understand that? The Jews would get it first, way before the Gentiles would be. Why? Because the Jews, look at chapter 3, Romans 3. What did the Jews had? They had an advantage, didn't they? Romans 3.1, what advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. They had the word of God. Who would understand? I, I, we did a thing several summers ago 
about Paul and using the Old Testament, and we kind of put it on hiatus, probably got to break it out again. Paul talks about the Old Testament and quotes it more than any other writer in Scripture outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, I would believe. But who would know all about Abraham in chapter 4? Or David in chapter 4? Who would know all about the issue of baptism in chapter 6, of that, that issue of the, the spiritual baptism? Who would understand chapter 7 all about the law? Who would understand when Paul brings up about the potter and the clay and remaking it and molding it and the clay can't yell and scream, but who would I? Paul would, see, Paul uses language. Come over with me to Acts 17. You'll see it here. Acts 17. Paul uses language that the, only, the people who would first get it would be the Jews. Acts 17, starting verse 1. You see, Paul was using language that would come along and, and, and they would say, Oh, I got that. I know what he's talking about. And a Gentile would, would struggle a little bit, but they do get it, by the way. Look at Acts 17, verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphibius and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And as Paul's, and, and Paul, as his manner was, notice that, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three, day, three Sabbath days reasoned with them, with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed. Now notice that passage carefully. Where... He is, in, in Acts, Paul is Romans 11, 11. Uh, hold on here, look at Romans 11, 11. You have, to, you have to have this in the back of your mind. Anytime you want to understand what, why Paul is doing what, Paul, what he does in the Acts account, you have to go read what he's in his epistles where he's going to tell you what is he doing. Acts 11, or I'm sorry, Romans 11, verse 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? He's talking about Israel. God forbid. But rather, through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles. For to provoke them to jealousy. You see, Paul's got a ministry in Acts. It's two-pronged. One, get the church, the body of Christ started. But then two, to reach over there and uh, provoke Israel to jealousy. Why does Paul baptize? Why does Paul heal? Why does Paul do the sign gifts? Why is all of that going on in the Acts period? After Acts 28, when he's done, all of that stuff stops. But why is he doing it in Acts? Well, because he's provoking Israel, Israel causing Israel to look over there and say, wait a minute, why is that Gentile doing what was given to me? Then he can come and do what he's doing here in Acts 17. Notice what he's doing. He's in the synagogue of the Jews. As his manner is. Why is it his manner? He's provoking them to jealousy. He reasons with them out of the scriptures. Again, he knows the scriptures. 
He's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He's going back and forth. And he, in verse 3, opening and alleging, he's giving them the facts, and he's making them face the facts. Now think about what he's doing here. They, are, they understand what he's talking about. But the Gentile, not quite sure about it. When he says there in verse 3 of that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preached unto you is Christ. He's reaching back into the Old Testament. He's bringing all that to light to say, hey, here it is. Everything that the prophets said about, the, about Jesus Christ, he died. And the one I'm talking about is the same guy, and they would get it. He would bring up Daniel 9. I, I, I think about Daniel. Gabriel looks at Daniel and says, God reveals the secret things to you, Daniel. So when Nebuchadnezzar has the dream and of, of the, the image and all that, and, and, Dan, and he's ready to kill off his guys, and they're like, well, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's go get Daniel because his God will reveal the secret things. Daniel shows up, gives, a, uh, gives all the information, saves the day. So Israel understanding God having a secret and then revealing it isn't anything new. They are aware of it. So he sits with them. He says, listen, think about this. Here's six, 70 weeks of years that are going to, the timetable. You see that thing about cutting off of the Messiah there in Daniel 9? That's this. That's Calvary. And what you don't know about is me. And he lays in the dispensational break and the interruption. And he begins to talk to them. But he's talking in language that they get, that they understand. And they're able to comprehend it. If you come back to, to well, verse 4, and some of them believed. But it's interesting, verse 4, Acts 17, 4, and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the, doubt, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude. So the Greeks now are beginning to do what? Understand. Why is that? Come back to chapter 13 of Acts. Acts 13. Acts 13, Paul's first apostolic journey out into, uh, out from Antioch. Acts 13. He stands up and he is preaching. It starts in verse 14 there. And he begins to, actually it, yeah, it starts there in verse 14, and he, verse 16, Then Paul stood up and beckoned with his hand and said, Men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. Here they are. He, he then gives a whole history lesson of Israel down to verse 38. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that though through this man, talking about the, the Holy One, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all. That believer justified from all things from which ye could not be justified, <coughs> excuse me, by the law of Moses. Now watch verse 42. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that those words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. So in verse 16, 
when he says, men of Israel, what did the, okay, we'll come back to the Jews here in just a minute, and ye that fear God, who would that be? That would be the Gentiles that have kind of come up. Hey, what's this? And then they hear this message about all that believe and all are forgiven and all, and now it's an all-man ministry. And what do they say? Now they're get, they get the all thing, don't they? They understand that. By the way, the Jews, verse 44, and the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. Could you imagine the, the, the news spreading of, hey, look, there's a guy down there. He's talking to us. He's talking about everybody. Now there is no difference. Now everybody has access to Calvary and to the cross, and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just those Jews, but now everybody does. So when the Jews saw the multitudes, verse 45, they were filled with envy, spake against Paul, against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should have been spoken to you. Notice there's no first. They, got, they understood the history lesson. They understood everything up to the point, and they were enjoying it. They were, yeah, that's our guy. Yep, there he is. There's Abraham. There's David. Woo, there's our guys. Until that issue at the end of his message about being forgiven of, uh, um, justified from all things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Uh-oh. So what, verse 46 but seeing ye put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Chapter 18, guess what happens? Same thing. Israel rejected it. So we're going to the Gentiles. Chapter 28, 28, we're going to the Gentiles. It, the Jews had a renewed opportunity under Paul. Come back to Romans 1. But they rejected it. So Paul said, that's okay, we'll go over here and talk to the Gentiles now. The Gentiles, they're getting it. They're getting it all along. So in verse 16, when he says, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, don't read that as salvation, because obviously Paul is an everyman apostle. He's an international apostle to all the nations, but rather read that as they have, they understand the language. They understand the terminology that Paul is going to use a little quicker, a little better than the Gentile does. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever thought about, come over to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. I don't know... If, and, and 1 Corinthians 8 and 1 Corinthians, well, go to 1 Corinthians 12 first. Let's do that. 1 Corinthians 12. You see, when Paul shows up, you know, I think about him on the, there in Acts on the Mars Hill, and he's dealing with the philosophers and all that, the epics and the Stoics. And he says, hey, let's talk about that, that thing right over there you got that's to the unknown God. Let's talk about him. What would be going through a Gentile's mind as he sees that all of that religious stuff there? All, you're too superstitious, Paul calls it. Well, 1 Corinthians 12, 
Verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. What did, Paul, what, what, did, what did the Gentile out there have to understand? That that idol was what? Dumb. It was dumb. It was just a piece of hunk of wood. Come back to chapter 8. Chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians. Verse 1, now it's touching things offered unto idols. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, but there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, and by whom are all things, and we by him. Come over to 1 Thessalonians 1. See, the Gentiles, they were playing catch-up in the language department. The Jews were already there. They had the word. They understood the terms, the terminology. The Gentiles are catching up. Okay? 1 Thessalonians 1, just a couple of examples of this. Verse 9, For they themselves show of us of what mannering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You see, the Thessalonians, that's Acts 17, what'd they do? They left the idolatry, great as Diana of Ephesus, religion, and they went over here and followed God. So when you think about this issue of to the Jew first and also to the Greek, it's not that the Jews were, had a favorite to the Jew first. Now, it's not because they're the favorites anymore, but rather they had the capacity to believe. The issue isn't salvation. Salvation is unto all unto everyone that believeth. Who's gonna pay it? Who's listening? Who, who's able to be impacted first? It's gonna be the Jews, because they have the same terminology. Okay? Now, next week we'll start in verse 17, and we'll start, we'll get into some of the legal groundwork. And really the legal groundwork is that maintaining of the integrity and the holiness, the righteousness and the justice of God, because he's now going to go and do some things and yet at the same time be able to protect all that. Okay? All right. Dear Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for who we are in your son. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for that. In your name we pray. Amen. All right.